Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Hello, I'm Beverly Williams, author of Get the Job Done, an employment advice book for people of all ages. I invite you to begin your work week or workday with me and anyone else who joins me to discuss career and workplace issues. I'm a multifaceted labor and employment attorney who is a cross between Judge Judy, Whoopi Goldberg, and Jean Chatsky. As a person connected to employment trends and developments, I continuously listen to and advise millennials, Gen Xers, boomers, and others. Get the job done, and this podcast are designed to empower listeners and readers to become the most successful job candidates or employees they can be. There was a time when people went to school, got a job, and kept that job for life, or got another job without a problem, but no longer. There is what I call now the new employment reality. Now that it isn't as easy as it once was to get hired, it's up to job seekers to position themselves to land a job by distinguishing themselves from the competition. Differentiating yourself isn't enough. You've got to shine. You've got to distinguish yourself. I intend to promote discussion and provoke change about how people view, among other things, their careers and workplace environments. The disappearance of job security and workplace civility, the need to proactively manage careers, and how and when to look for employment are just a few examples of the areas this podcast will explore. I'll ask and answer questions and invite knowledgeable, experienced individuals to share their opinions and suggestions with people of all ages, regardless of their generational demographic, or sexual identity or sexual expression who need and want the information. The approach to my 30-minute podcast will be to devote the first 10 to 15 minutes to sharing my point of view with the remaining time used to interview a guest who will be a subject matter expert, individuals who've had successful careers thus far, or simply people with an interesting point of view or life experience. My goal is to provide useful information for your employment journey, to put you in a position and state of mind that allows you to consider, if not accept, the information and advice offered. Of course, the definition of a successful career varies from person to person. My hope is that this podcast will give you the necessary information and tools that empower you 
to achieve the level of success you choose and beyond. Today, I'm going to share with you a template to consider using to develop your personal career strategy. For various reasons, I watch and listen to a lot of sports media, especially football. I don't have a favorite team. I have favorite athletes and favorite sports media personalities. In the interest of full disclosure, I don't watch the games because they're too exciting and the outcomes can change in a nanosecond. I can't stand the roller coaster up and down. I don't like surprises. Consequently, I'm quite content to learn the outcome at the end of the games by watching the highlights. Now, to my surprise, I found sports media very educational. Again, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a huge LeBron James fan. Whether you are or not, consider this. Thanks to LeBron James, the new employment reality has now arrived on the doorstep of the National Basketball Association. Today, we'll focus on LeBron's career strategy. LeBron's departure from the Cleveland Cavaliers for the Miami Heat in July 2010 is a template for how to manage a career. Set goals, multiple NBA championships, that was one of his goals. Two, perform at the highest level. Everyone knows that LeBron performs at the highest level. Three, allow a reasonable time within which to achieve these goals. He stayed in Cleveland for seven seasons. Objectively evaluate your talent and marketability. We all know that LeBron is, is highly marketable. Now, he made a boatload of money in Cleveland, but he had reasonable, achievable goals. He only wanted to be on a championship team. That's not much to ask. He wanted to win multiple championships. That's not much to ask. He couldn't do it until he left, until he left Ohio for Miami. But you ask yourself, Am I setting reasonable, attainable goals for myself? Is it reasonable given the circumstances, given the work environment, given the economic environment, given, given my skill set? Are my goals reasonable? Are they attainable? Now, in 2010, LeBron decided to leave Cleveland to play for Miami for less money without bringing an NBA championship to Cleveland, but he gave it seven seasons, as I said before. LeBron felt moving to Miami would give him the best opportunity to achieve his career goals. He was right. With back-to-back -back successes, the Miami Heat was the NBA's 2012 and 2013 championship team. Career goals one and two. Check, check. LeBron left Miami and returned to Cleveland in 2014 and in 2016, leading the Cleveland Cavaliers, who he left in 2010. LeBron won his third NBA championship. Check. Three championships, three checks. In 2018, LeBron bid farewell to Cleveland again, this time to join the Los Angeles Lakers. One of the things you need to pay attention to is that LeBron realized that he couldn't get what he wanted. He couldn't achieve his goals where he was. He had to leave. There may be reasons you can't leave. And 
if there are insurmountable reasons, then you accept that. If they're not insurmountable, you try to work around that. Try to find a way to get what you want, given your limitation. Now, don't get it twisted. Make no mistake. LeBron's approach won't work for everyone. Don't delude yourself about your talents and marketability. An objective assessment of your on-the-job performance is critical. Family and friends, by definition, are not objective. Don't overestimate your value on the open market, but ask yourself objectively and honestly, am I in the position to create a new employment reality for myself? Remember, you have to eat, pay rent, and be responsible for other adult things. Don't overplay your hand. Admittedly, people of all ages overplay their hands. Please, don't be one of them. Today, we're going to discuss how to transition from job to job throughout your career. My guest today is Alexis Jones. Alexis has an undergraduate degree from the University of Virginia and a master's degree from Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Journalism. She currently works for the Hearst Corporation in New York City, where she is an assistant editor on Hearst's Women's Health magazine. In the interest of full disclosure, Alexis is my godchild, which means that I've known her since she came into the world. Through her work ethic and tenacity, Alexis has demonstrated her commitment to becoming successful in her chosen career, journalism. I'll let her tell you how she defines success for herself personally and her career as a professional. Welcome, my dear Alexis. Thanks, Godmother. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And I'm excited to continue our talks because we talk often. Now, Lex, you majored in journalism in college. How did you decide on journalism as a career? It's funny, though, because I started out in pre-med. I thought that I wanted to be a pediatrician, um, and I had done everything I needed to do to go down that path. I had gone to pre-med camp at Harvard in eighth grade. I had learned how to suture. I had studied up. I was, like, taking pre-MCAT classes. I was ready to do it, and then I got to to UVA, and I realized that I, I wasn't as passionate as everyone else in my biology and chemistry classes. And I kind of just had a a moment to myself where I was like, what is this that I really like about being a doctor or the thought about being the doctor? And it was really about helping people. And then I realized that there was something else I could do to help people. And that was journalism. And because what journalism is, it's really answering, you know, questions that people have and and when, when it all boils down to. And that's what I really wanted to do. And I joined the Cavalier Daily, which was UVA's school newspaper and I started as a beginner uh, staff writer on the arts and entertainment section Um, and I did concert reviews and movie reviews and album reviews and that was interesting to me because I was always infatuated with pop culture and news and so that was something that I decided to take a crack at and then I rose to a senior um, writer by the end of my time there at UVA and I realized that journalism was something that I could do as a profession we didn't have it 
as a major, but we had an English major. And I connected with a professor named Wyatt Andrews, who was a pretty well-known newscaster for CBS for several years. And he was teaching a broadcast journalism class. And I had never been on camera before in that sense. But he thought that, you know, I might be good at it. So I decided to take his class and he threw us into it. The first day one, he said, you know, he had a little meme up on the screen and it was someone uh, drowning in a pool. And he said, you know, um, this is my class. This is essentially what my class is. Either you will float or you will drown. I'm going to send you out there and you have to get the stories and you don't really have an option because if you don't get the story, then you're going to fail. And on one hand, that scared me. But on the other hand, it, it really excited me. And I realized that there was, you know, there was something that really interested me in capturing other people's stories. And so that's, um, I changed my major to English and media studies. And I loved, I fell in love with, with journalism from that broadcast journalism class and with writing at the Cavalier Daily. And then um, I got an internship for the American Society Magazine Editors. I had never heard of this before, but my friend, Aman at the time, she saw a flyer on one of our school's um, post-it boards. And she said, listen, I saw this flyer for this American Society Magazine Editors. I think, I think it's a big deal and you should apply. I applied. I did some research. It turns out this is a huge court. This is a huge um, society. And many of the world's greatest editors have been a part of it. And I applied to the program and I got the internship in the summer of 2016. And we were all, every, all the, the students who applied and got accepted were housed at NYU for the summer. And we were placed at different magazines. Um, and our choices were between um, Essence and People, The Knot, what is it, Reader's Digest, a bunch of magazines and national, global publications. And so I got placed at The Knot the summer of 2016, the wedding magazine. And I worked so hard to be a stellar intern while I was there. I was writing two to three pieces a day. I ended up running the internship program. I became the project manager for that summer. And I led a presentation with, with all of the other interns. And we presented to the CEO and the editor-in-chief at the end of the summer with how we would revamp and diversify the magazine. And I, I fell in love with the world of magazines. And so that's how I knew that I wanted to have a career in it. Well, how did you decide which schools to attend? I mean, if you didn't know that you wanted to go, you wanted to focus on journalism as a Mm -hmm. career, how did you know that UVA might be a good fit for you? And then subsequently, the Newhouse School of Journalism, which is renowned, it has a, a global reputation for journalism. Yeah. For UVA, when I when I applied there, I had, you know, six schools that I was kind of looking at. I had gotten into UVA, William and Mary, where else? University of Delaware, University of Maryland, and I think two others. But I was deciding at the end of the day between UVA and William and Mary. Those were two really great schools. And I went to visit the college campuses and I talked to a lot of the the students and there was really a sort of a sort of passion in the students that I talked to at UVA who not only felt like they had pride in the school but in the teachers and they felt like their teachers were really invested in their success and that's what I found when I got there is that the, like my journalism teacher um, Professor Andrews is really really invested in our success as students and he pushed us to do some of our best work all of my in- English teachers there they didn't give out sympathy grades. They were pushing our essays to be the best that they could be. They were always willing to stay afterwards and give feedback and, and kind of like tweak them so that 
we would be proud of our work and not and not just, you know, throw something together. So I think it was just the way that the students at UVA talked about their professors and how invested they were. And then for journalism school, once I decided, once I graduated or was nearing graduation at UVA, I knew that I wanted to go to graduate school because I had taken broadcast journalism class, but that was my only one real class in actual journalism. I, I, you know, until then I had just been writing for the school newspaper and I had had that internship, but I knew that other people out there who had gone to, you know, journalism specific schools, like, you know, people who had gone to Newhouse for undergrad, they had two, three, four internships under their belt. They had been sent to New York, you know, for three summers in a row. And I had only had one internship under my belt. And I didn't have the technical experience that I think that I wanted because I knew from my broadcast journalism class that you could no longer just be a writer or a video person. It was really that you had to be a multimedia journalist. And I knew that I didn't, I wanted to gain more skills. So I applied to several journalism schools, including NYU and Berkeley and um, Newhouse School of Publications. And I got into all of them. But when I went to visit, again, it was the professors. I met Professor Cheshire, um, Melissa Cheshire, who was there, and she just talked so greatly about the school. And I met a lot of her students who had gone on to be successful and write for the Washington Post and, and write for Cosmo and Harvest Bazaar. And I met those students and they, they were inspiring and said that they had really learned so much in Newhouse. I got to see the facilities that they have. They have an amazing editing room where we can go in and edit footage. And it's just the resources there are amazing and also the network there. I have i don't think I've gone to, you know, in my career today, I don't think I've gone to any event and not met someone who went to Newhouse or knew someone who, you know, went to Newhouse. And at Hearst, there are so many Newhouse graduates. The network is so expansive. So I think that's also something that drew me to the school. Networks never hurt. They yeah. never hurt. While you were in college, both in undergraduate and graduate school, I know that you did things to further your profile, shall, mm -hmm. shall we say. Tell the listeners the things that you did separate and apart from attending class and working on the newspaper. Yeah, it was kind of, it was an all-in thing. I, if I Once I decided that I was going to pursue journalism fully, I went and I, I made sure that I was, you know, staying after class and and learning the techniques. I was in the, the editing room for hours. I Then I took on a podcast. I managed a podcast for a while because I wanted to diversify my talents. So I managed this podcast called Working Syracuse. And we, in that, we interviewed a bunch of blue-collar workers um, in the area and kind of talked to them about what makes their job special and, and what working in Syracuse in particular um, why Syracuse is such a special place for them because it is an interesting place to be in the sense that it is one of the most populated but also poverty-stricken areas of New York and there are a lot of immigrants there from all over and some of our um, subjects were immigrants and had come here and had wonderful stories to tell. Um, so I, I really kind of immersed myself in, in extracurricular activities outside of just writing for the newspaper. Um, I also decided to become the front of book editor for one of the school magazines that they had there. And I threw myself into that. It, it was, it was just a lot of, of different things at, at once and trying, and I said yes to everything. If someone said, Hey, Alexis, do you want to um, help me film this 
thing for my after school project? Yeah, sure, I'll do it. Do you want to help me write this? Yeah, I'll do it because I wanted to get as much experience as I could. When um, my friend and I, we love, obviously we love magazines because we went to grad school, but we found out that Teen Vogue was hosting an event in New York, but we were in Syracuse, which is, you know, seven hours away. But we um, talked to our professor. We convinced them to let us miss class if we got to write about it. And we managed to get on a bus, drive, get on the, the, the Greyhound, ride seven hours, get to New York City. We printed business cards. We didn't have business cards before we went. We went to Staples, ran to Staples, printed business cards so we wouldn't look silly because we were going to be in front of a bunch of Teen Vogue editors. We printed 100 business cards. My friend and I gave out at least 40 that night. Um, and it's just taking the extra step and really pursuing it when you have those opportunities to go after them. Well, Alexis, less people think that your work and no play, you do have a good time, don't you? I do. I do. Yes, I know you do. I don't want them to think that you're toiling in the vineyards all day and all night. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, listeners, she works hard. She works harder than most people I know, but she does have a good time. I know that for a fact. Yes. I also love to travel. Um, I, we, one of my recent trips, we went to Turks and Caicos. I, we went to Greece last year. Um, I love traveling. I think it's, it's so important. And there are so many other stories to be told when you go across the world too. But um, yeah, I have fun too. You've been to Haiti. Yes, I yes, I've been to Haiti. I went okay. to Haiti um last Christmas or the the Christmas before that, I believe. Um it was yeah. it was an amazing experience. That is a completely different environment and world and community of people and it was incredible to go there. Tell us a bit about any of the challenges that you've encountered on your journey thus far. Professionally or just in life in general? Whatever you choose. Yeah. I think that, you know, just in life in general, I I grew up a pretty shy kid. Um godmother can attest to that. I as I mean as a baby I was not so shy, but once I got to, you know, elementary school, I was a little bit of a shy kid. I didn't really have um a voice. I didn't really speak up for myself, and I think writing kind of really helped me find my voice and helped me tell um other people's story and give other people a voice that, you know, their stories wouldn't have been told or they never would have been heard before. Um, and so that's something that really also drew me to writing. But also growing up, I grew up with um, a mom who has a disability and that can be very stressful for a kid. And, you know, I wrote about this in Women's Health in the March issue, but I also grew up with a disability of my own. Um, I grew up with cerebral palsy and not knowing that I had it. But I, I grew up with the, some of the physical abnormally, abnormalities that cerebral palsy triggers, like not being able to hold a pencil straight or walking clumsily or off balance and having people make fun of me in school. Um, and I overcame that. And that's just something that um, I, I refuse to let hold me back. Um, and then professionally, there are always going to be no's. Um, I got a lot of no's before I got a yes. I applied to several positions that I did not get. Um, before going to grad school, I considered becoming um, an assistant at a publication. I got to the final round of that, and it was between grad school and going on to become an assistant at a, at one of the you know beloved publication that I still read and admire today. But uh, 
eventually I ended up going to grad school because I knew that those technical skills were more important and they had decided to go with another candidate anyway. But I, before that, you know, before getting the job that I have now as an assistant editor at Women's Health, I had, there were several no's that I got from other publications. So it's about continuing to pursue what you want your life to be and what you want your career to be, even though you get those no's, knowing that you're good enough and eventually you're going to get a yes. So how have you transitioned from job to job successfully? What would you, if you were giving advice Mm -hmm. to another young person, if you were mentoring someone younger than you, what advice would you give them? Honestly, I think that connections are so important and networking is a very, very valuable part of your job. The jobs that I've gotten and the way that I've transitioned is yes, because of my work ethic and my talents and people recognize that. But it's also letting people and getting to know people who are looking at you and saying, hey, that girl Alexis that I met for coffee that one time, I've been reading her stuff since she got here and it's been getting so much better and she's been writing and getting even bigger features and X, Y, and Z. I think she'd really be good for this next position. You want people who will fight for you and who will vouch for you and who are ultimately talking about you in rooms that you're not even in and talking well about you in rooms that you're not even in because maybe you're not in that room yet, but that's the room you eventually want to be in. You want to be in the room of editor-in-chief, so you want to be in the room of CEOs who are saying, hey, that that lower-level staffer who's on my team, she's incredible. Um, And so making that good impression and really making valuable connections with people I think has gotten me very far. I started out as an editorial fellow for Red Book and, and Women's Day as a digital fellow out of grad school. And I made a really great connection there with, yes, my direct boss, but off, also with the executive director of content strategy, who was there and overseeing Good Housekeeping and Red Book and Women's Day at the time and the the, the digital strategy behind those websites. And it was actually her that decided that I would be, you know, good for a different position. And she recommended me for an editorial administrative assistant position to herself and also to the vice president of content. So she, you know, talked me up to the vice president of content and said, you know, I think there's this really great girl. She's currently a fellow, but I think she would be a great editorial administrative assistant. She really is passionate about magazines and wants to get, you know, an inside look at the business too. And so she recommended this position to me and recommended me to the VP of content. I had an interview with her. I ended up getting that job. So I did that job for a year, a little over a year. And then when that job, I started to, you know, master that. I made connections with all of the site editors at different sites at Hearst Magazine. I had had coffee with, you know, the site director of Marie Claire and Harper's Bazaar. And I had editors with um, at Prevention. And I had connections everywhere at that point because I used the fact that I was close to the vice president of content and I was scheduling meetings for them all the time. I had interactions with these editors. So there was no reason why I couldn't say, Hey, do you want to grab coffee? You know, actually I'm also a writer. And so I ended up freelancing for Marie Claire and Harper's Bazaar while I was also assisting the vice president of content and the executive director of content strategy. And that ended up segueing into the current role that I have now as the assistant editor at Women's Health Magazine, which both of my former bosses recommended me for. Wow. I, you know, I had a sense of what you were doing. You know, your mother tries to keep me up to date, but, you know, (laughs) 
I've always been concerned that you put a lot of pressure on yourself, but I also knew that you were having a good time while you were doing it Mm -hmm. and you had outside uh, social outlets that were keeping you, uh, keeping you grounded and, and, and outlets to have fun with people that you cared about and who cared about you. Absolutely. Now, You've talked about some of the challenges that you have that you've had in your personal and professional situations, career and otherwise. Is there anything in retrospect? You're, you're young, so it, you, you haven't had a long professional life. But when you look back, is there anything that you would do differently if you had the opportunity to change the decision you made? No, not at this point. I think that. Everything I've done so far has led me to where I am now. I do think maybe, and this probably also has to just has to do with me being hard on myself and getting over that sort of shy person that I once was, but maybe I could have been even more friendly and reached out to more people earlier because I have kids who are in high school who are reaching out to me now and saying, hey, I saw that article you wrote and I was really inspired by it. And so maybe I wish I had been bolder even then. And reaching out to those people that I admire and look up to because they are doing that and they're starting early. And I really commend them for those kids who, you know, know what they want and they're passionate about it. And they're saying, hey, what's the what's the worst that could happen? I reach out to this person and she doesn't answer. Um, and so I, I try to take meetings with those kids who are bold and they're, they're high school um, seniors or they're college freshmen or sophomores. And they're reaching out and they're saying, hey, I got this girl and she reached out and said, I'm, I'm going to be in New York. And. I really love Women's Health Magazine, and I would love to just meet with you for five minutes. Do you have five minutes? And like, yeah, sure, sure, I have five minutes. And I met with her, and we had coffee. Lasted thirty minutes, but um, she was she was great, and I and I would a hundred percent, you know, re- recommend her for a fellowship in the future. She we talked, and she was passionate, and she told me what she wanted to do and and why she wanted to be in magazines. Um, so I think yeah, maybe just being bolder earlier on. Well, I think especially because of what I call the new employment reality, that employment just isn't the way it used to be. People will not have the same job for 30 years and then move out to retirement. They're going through transitions that are necessary from job to job, industry to industry, town to town, state to state, even country to country. And we're going to need to start training and educating our young people at earlier ages to think about not what they want to be when they grow up, but how many things can they think of that they'd like to be when they grow up? Mm-hmm. Because multiple income streams, changing, being able, as you as, as I said in the beginning, to transition from job to job throughout a lifetime yeah. is going to be necessary because technology has changed things. And if you hearken back to the Industrial Revolution. We went from an agrarian society to uh, an industrial society. Mm-hmm. And we're making the transition to and through a technological society. This is the way the world works. And we have to we have to encourage, to your point, we have to encourage young people to start early, to talk to people, to make a connection. And as I said earlier in the in, in this podcast, it may require that you step outside your comfort zone. Exactly. 
And if it wasn't in this podcast, it was in another podcast I recorded today. Everyone, to your point, Alexis, doesn't have the self-confidence or the sure-footedness to approach strangers who may say no or ignore them or reject their proposal. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't hurt to ask. You won't get anything if you don't ask. And another thing going off of that, when I was applying to jobs at first, I realized that I was just sending in the applications and waiting for someone to contact me. But as I, I've now learned that you should really find the hiring manager and there's a way you can do your research and find out who exactly is hiring for that position and reach out to them directly and say, hello, Mrs. or Ms. Ashley, so-and-so, whatever the person's name is. I recently applied to this role. I'm really interested in the position. Here's why I'd love for you to take a look at my resume and application that I just submitted yesterday. If you just let it sit there in the portal filled with hundreds and applications, they may never even see yours. But I found that the jobs that I've gotten interviews for and the, and the some of the others that I've gotten to the final round for, it's because I reached out to a person directly. It's I didn't wait around for you know someone to find my application in the, in the application portal. I, I tell you, I'm in awe of the energy that you spend. I mean, seriously, you go get it and you work. <laughs> You do. You work hard. You know, you're intelligent. You work hard, but you work, you work like a dog. I tell your mother all the time, you know, but I'm proud of you. And I I know that the the more you do, the further you'll go. And I'm just, I'm just taking a back seat, watching it. I have my popcorn. I'm waiting for the Alexis show. (laughs) Well, you know, it's all from example. So (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you want to say to our le- our, our listeners, Alexis, before we sign off? I think that's it. Just like I said, just the two notes that we ended on, just being bold and really not being afraid to reach out to the people that inspire you and, and not waiting for people to call on you, but taking action and saying, hey, I think I'm really great for this position and here's why. I think that's totally fine to do. And it's admired by the people who are looking to hire the best candidates. Well, Alexis, you inspire me. I'm not going to work as hard as you have. I've done the. I've worked hard enough. You've already done it. You've already done it. (laughs) I've already worked hard enough. These podcasts are so much fun, though, because I feel like I'm providing a service. You know, Mm -hmm. everyone can't afford a career coach. Everyone can't afford a lot of things that might help them move along. But just some tips like you've conveyed and you provided today have been helpful to people who may not have otherwise thought of them. Thank you so much, my dear. I love you. And I look forward to seeing you soon when this, uh, when this crisis is over. Yes, please. Yes. Hopefully soon when this all (laughs) ends. Be safe, sweetie. Okay. You too. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences.
This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.